Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 120. And while you're looking for that in your Bibles, uh, let me uh, remind you, of course, uh, those of you who have been here before know the drill, but we normally begin our morning session with a 10-minute introduction for, for everybody. So uh, the opening 10 minutes are particularly directed to our 5- to 10-year-olds, and then they will be dismissed to their classes, and then the grown-ups will remain uh, for the remainder of uh, the session. So Psalm 120 is our portion for study this morning. Um, I should mention this week I'm, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Um, I realize that may not be what everyone's using, but in my studies I find that ESV, NASB, they're very, very similar. There's not a lot of manuscript issues or anything like that to deal with, so uh, that's what we're reading from this week. So Psalm 120, uh, let's give attention now to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. A song of ascents. In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, or what shall be done to you? You false tongue, sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. Woe is me that I dwell in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to its reading and its preaching this morning. Well, boys and girls, two months ago, on May the 6th, Britain celebrated the coronation of King Charles III. And it was a long weekend of celebrations all across Britain. Uh, Following the coronation ceremony in Westminster Abbey, His Majesty was led in a grand procession through the streets of London in a golden carriage, led by 5,000 members of His Majesty's Armed Forces. Uh, There was a Royal Air Force fly-past, and a grand coronation concert was held in Windsor Castle, along with many other spectacular events. Meanwhile, all across the country, all the church bells were ringing in unison. Thousands of neighborhoods held street parties serving coronation quiche, which, if you haven't heard of that, is the official uh, dish of the king and queen's coronation. You have to look that one up when you get home. Uh, There was a a public holiday declared on May 8th. Everybody took the day off work. The whole country was in a party mood. Now, you might have guessed from the way I speak that I'm not from America. I'm, I'm from Northern Ireland, and that means I'm a British citizen. So while all of this was going on across the Atlantic Ocean, you'll understand that I was feeling very patriotic, right? Lots of British flags and lots of cups of tea and all of that good stuff. But you'll also understand that I also felt really, really homesick. You see, when the coronation was being televised, I was sitting all alone at my television in Pittsburgh, with my cup of British tea, of course, in a little coronation mug that I'd bought for the occasion. I'm very sentimental, you understand, okay? And uh, the rest of my family were fast asleep. It was five in the morning, I understand that. But they were fast asleep, and um, there I was all by uh, myself. And the rest of the American population was probably fast asleep as well. Because here in America, May 6th was just an ordinary Saturday, right? Life went on as usual. 
And while the hearts of British people living in America were thinking of home, their families, their new king, and of course the big party that they were all missing, their American neighbors were sleeping in on a Saturday morning, or maybe going to work uh, as usual. There was no big fuss. Their minds were completely elsewhere. Boys and girls, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about homesickness. Maybe some of you have experienced homesickness. It's a really, really sad feeling. And you get it when you're in a strange place with strange people you're not familiar with and you just want to go home where everything's familiar. Or you also might get it when you're with a lot of people you just don't know. You don't know everybody. You just don't feel very comfortable. Let me reverse my illustration for a moment. Imagine that you were living in a faraway country, right? So you're maybe overseas somewhere. You're far away from America. And while you're living there, 4th of July comes around, right? 4th of July, America's big birthday party every year. And um, everybody in uh, America, of course, is celebrating that thing. But not in the country you're in. Because it's not America. I bet you would feel pretty homesick. Because you'd know everyone back home was flying the stars and stripes and enjoying a cookout probably with family and friends. And, you know, enjoying the fireworks and all of those different things. But in the faraway country that you're living in, nobody is celebrating. Life goes on. And you're missing a really good party. You feel homesick. This week, as you know, we're thinking together about songs for the journey. And these are psalms that God gave us to sing that speak about what it's like living in this world and walking on the road to heaven. And today we're going to think about the first of these psalms. It's Psalm 120, which I'm going to call a song for the homesick. The author is a Christian. He he loves God. He wants to serve God. But the problem is he lives in a place called Kedar. And that word Kedar means dark. He's living in a dark place. Because the people of Kedar don't love God. They don't serve God. In fact, they hate God. And because the psalmist wants to serve God, they say all kinds of bad things about him. And he feels lonely among all these strange people because they aren't really his people at all. He'd much rather be at home with other Christians. And all of this, you see, is a picture of what it's sometimes like being a Christian in this world. It's like having to live in a dark place. Now, of course, Jesus has called us to live in this world, and it's full of beautiful places like we are this morning, beautiful things, nice people God made, but it's also a sinful world that doesn't love Jesus and doesn't love his people. And that's why Christians sometimes feel homesick here. Psalm 120 teaches us that the way the world speaks is different from the way Christians speak. We just read in verse 2, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. Sin has made this world a place of bad words and lies. So Jesus has put us here to speak clean words and to tell the truth. And this psalm also tells us that the way the world acts is different from the way Christians act. We read in verse 7, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Sin has made this world a place of fighting and war. So Jesus has put us here so that we can be peacemakers. So boys and girls, to summarize, if you're a Christian, God wants you to speak and to act in such a way that shows that you are different, different from this world, that shows the world that you belong to him. 
You remember Jesus once said, you are the light of the world. He wants you to shine for him in this land of Kedar, this land of darkness. He says, you are my witnesses. So that when people see you being like Jesus, different from the world, then you'll be able to tell them about Jesus so they can serve him too. Now, before I let you go to your classes, let me tell you this as we close. You don't have to be homesick forever. That's the good news. Because a day is coming when Jesus will take us to be with him. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. So that where I am, there you may be also. See, boys and girls, our real home is in heaven. And in the meantime, you and I are on a journey through this world. And the Lord has put his church here so that we have good friends and companions for the journey. People who love Jesus too. The great thing is we don't ever have to be lonely in this life. Even though you may sometimes be homesick for heaven. But we do need to live here. And we do need to tell other people who live here about Jesus and the home that he is making for us. So these are some things I'd like you to be thinking about today as you go through the day. And now you'll be learning some more as you go to your classes. So with that, uh, you guys can be dismissed. Okay, looks like everybody's moved along. So let me invite the rest of you to keep your Bible open, please, to Psalm 120 as we uh, turn now to open the text and understand its teaching. As I just told the children, Psalm 120 is a song for the homesick. And these songs of ascent begin at the beginning of the pilgrimage, so to speak, with the Christian in this world longing for home. Brothers and sisters, we are pilgrims Pilgrims in a foreign land, and our citizenship is in heaven. And I want us to open this topic uh, under three headings. And you'll see they're printed for you there uh, in the camp brochure, so uh, you can follow along there and make notes uh, there if you would like. We're going to think this morning about the case of the homesick Christian, the trials of the homesick Christian, and very briefly we'll think also about the witness of the homesick Christian. So those are our three points. The case of the homesick Christian, the trials of the homesick Christian, and the witness of the homesick Christian. Let's think first then about the case of the homesick Christian. And to understand the message uh, of this lesser-known Sam, we need to appreciate the geographic location in which the psalmist finds himself. And that means we need to jump ahead to verses 5 and 6. Let's read those verses again. Verses 5 and 6. Woe is me that I dwell in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. We need to start here because these two verses give meaning to the cries that make up the rest of the psalm. They describe the case of the homesick Christian, and it involves three things. For one thing, we see that the homesick Christian dwells in Meshach. The homesick Christian dwells in Meshach and Kedar. Meshach here refers to a distant pagan barbarian tribe that lived far away to the north of Israel. We think somewhere between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. So you homeschool geography experts can maybe picture where that is in your mind. It's a long way from, uh, from Jerusalem and from God's people. Um, and then the tents of Kedar refers to those wild nomadic tribes of the Arabian desert away uh, to the south of Israel. And both these groups of people were considered uncivilized Gentile idolaters. 
living in the far ends of the earth. Now, the point is not to ask how the psalmist could live in two distant locations at once. This, of course, is is poetry. These geographic locations are a poetic way of describing the believer's spiritual location. It's a picture of this hostile world from which he must make his pilgrimage towards heaven. The Christian dwells in Meshach, and Meshach is a sinful place. The tents of Kedar are populated with lost souls. It's a veil of tears, a place of sorrow, wickedness, and death. This is not a fun neighborhood to live in. And that's why, like the British expat who's missing King Charles III's coronation, or the American expat who's missing the 4th of July, the Christian is in a fundamentally homesick condition. You may be a citizen of the U.S. or the U.K. or any other nation, but Psalm 120 teaches that in spiritual terms, the Christian dwells in Meshach and the tents of Kedar. So what is the nature of our residence in Meshach? Well, we see secondly under this heading that the homesick Christian is a sojourner in Meshach. A sojourner. That word in verse 5 translated dwell uh, is better translated by the ESV to sojourn. To sojourn. That means to live like a stranger, as a, a temporary resident or a foreign national. The Christian, as the Bible teaches us, is a resident alien in the world, not native-born or naturalized citizens. The Christian is emphatically not to become settled here. When our family returned from this vacation in Colorado, we'll be staying overnight in a hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. And when we do so, Uh, You'll be glad to hear that we aren't planning to bring a U-Haul with all of our furniture uh, and belongings uh, to set up a permanent home there. Uh, Well, of course not, because we'll be living out of our suitcases. Uh, We'll be packed and ready to get home the next day. We'll be staying there as sojourners, not as permanent residents. Our home uh, is in Pittsburgh, not St. Louis. I'm sure St. Louis is a lovely place. Uh, That's not where we live. Certainly not the Comfort Inn. Okay, um, And likewise, you see, the Christian who is living in Meshach lives out of his suitcase, as it were. Like our family after a long vacation out west, he's tired, he's ready to get home. In verse 6, the psalmist says, My soul has dwelt too long there. And that's because his citizenship is in heaven. His heart is is above. It's not on earthly things, the things of this life. Colorado's beautiful, but it isn't home, not not for our family at least. Uh, This world has many blessings. It's a beautiful place, but it has nothing, nothing on the place that Jesus has gone to prepare for you and me. And his going before us on our pilgrimage reminds us for another thing that the homesick Christian has a forerunner in Meshach. That's the next thing. A forerunner in Meshach. You all know who Meshach's most famous resident was. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ dwelt in Meshach. Jesus sojourned in this world for 33 years and he could sing these words with deeper understanding than any one of us here. He left the glory of heaven and he willingly moved to Meshach. Imagine that. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. Literally, he pitched his tent among us. The Holy Son of God pitched his tent among the tents of Kedar. So that residents even of Kedar, the most hopelessly lost Gentiles, might be made inhabitants of his royal Jerusalem. Yes, Jesus could sing, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach. 
And the songs of ascents were the playlist of his earthly journey as well. And what did Jesus find among the tents of Kedar? Sin, suffering, sorrow, lostness, unbelief, and death. Friends, he came to redeem the residents of Kedar and to bring them to Zion. And by way of application, I wonder, can it be said of you that you are homesick this morning, homesick in Meshach? If so, then you reflect your Savior Jesus. You remember Christian at the opening of the Pilgrim's Progress. And I trust you know the story. He meets evangelist. An evangelist points him on the path, on the way to go. He points him to the king's highway. And you see, you won't begin this pilgrimage to the celestial city until you've come to recognize where you presently reside. You reside in the city of destruction. And Psalm 120 says to you and me this morning, we need to switch our address We need to leave Meshach. Too long have you dwelt in the tents of Kedar. And if you're homesick today, it's a sure sign that you're in Christ. But perhaps there's someone here this morning and you're not homesick in Meshach. And if that is true of you, then one of two options is likely. Perhaps you are a Christian, but you've begun to set your affections on the land of Meshach, where you live. And God is calling you this morning in this scripture to consider afresh your heavenward calling. You remember how the Apostle James warns his readers in James 4.4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, the land of Meshach is only too willing to attract new immigrants from the church. Have you perhaps begun the naturalization process this morning? Because if you aren't homesick, then perhaps more seriously, you may in fact be a citizen of Meshach. Think of that. If your home address is in Meshach, then you don't have a home address in Jerusalem. There can be no dual citizenship, one foot in the world and one in heaven. A pilgrim people know their destination. There are people on the move. They sing the songs for the journey on their pilgrimage. And maybe some of you feel very uncomfortable being here at a Christian family camp. Maybe you're homesick for Meshach coming to a place like this. And you can't wait for camp to be over so you can get out of here and go back to your real friends and entertainments and distractions. Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Where's your heart this morning? Is your heart in heaven? Or is your heart in this fading world. That's the case of the homesick Christian. Well, with that, we move secondly to consider the trials of the homesick Christian. The trials of the homesick Christian. And we find this in the rest of the psalm, verses 1 to 4 and verses 6 and 7. Now that we have ascertained the psalmist's location, we can examine the psalmist's condition there. And it's found in the remainder of this short psalm. And not surprisingly, the psalmist faces sore trials as long as he sojourns in this foreign land. He says, woe is me that I dwell in Meshach. And likewise, the Christian sojourning in this world will face many trials, which will demand great faith. And that's why we see the psalmist doing three things while he is in Meshach. The first is crying 
to God in Meshach. Crying to God in Meshach. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 again. In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord. Here is the psalmist facing great trials. He is in distress. So what does he do about that? Well, he does the right thing. He turns to God in prayer. He does what all homesick people do. He turns his thoughts homeward and he reaches out to his father who is standing by ready to help him. Friends, prayer is our lifeline in this world. Prayer should be your first port of call, not your last. And when you find yourself facing trials, you should cry out to God, deliver my soul. It is he who has stationed you here, and it is he who will sustain you here until your homecoming. That had been the psalmist's experience already. You notice he says, in my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. That's in the past tense. He's recording here a past deliverance. And that past deliverance then encourages him to pray for his present deliverance. Verse 2, deliver my soul, O Lord. Present tense. Well, I think there's an important lesson there for us as, as Christians, that our past deliverances should fuel our prayers for present deliverances. You, you find yourself in some crisis in life. What should you do? You should remember. You should think of history, right? Think of your own personal history with the Lord. Has the Lord been with me thus far? Yes, he has. Has he been with me in, in straits like this? Yes, he has. Record his past deliverances and turn them into a prayer list for your present crises. Lord, I remember how you helped me on this occasion and that occasion. Please be with me in this occasion as well. That's how the psalmist fills his prayers. But why is he presently in distress? That's because he's facing the culture of Meshach. Facing the culture of Meshach. Crying to God in Meshach and now facing the culture of Meshach. For the past couple of years, uh, Keith Mann here has been trying to populate short-term mission teams, right? Uh, all over the world, uh, different places that you can go. And if you go to the non-missions night, that's really a missions night but isn't, uh, perhaps you'll hear more uh, about that. I, I think the Japan team is going this summer, right? Is that right? And, and they're, all, they're going soon, I think. There you go. Well, let's, let's change the illustration to Scotland because I can do the accent, okay? Um, so, so imagine you're on a team going to Scotland. Aye, laddie, right? So you're going to Scotland, right? And, and, and you get off the plane, and there you are on this mission team, and you get there, you have to deal with what we call culture shock. You might have a bigger culture shock in Japan than Scotland, but, but we'll go with Scotland for now, okay? They kind of speak English, sort of, okay? But you'll have culture shock anyway. Uh, you come to terms with just a different worldview. Um, I'll say a different language. I had that for the Japan illustration, but some people here have a hard time understanding uh, Scottish people speak, okay? Maybe we need subtitles for this lecture, I don't know. But certainly different customs, right? Uh, different etiquette, different social expectations that you will have to come to terms with uh, when you go to that nation. Well, it's no different for the Christian living in Meshach. What characterizes the culture of Meshach? What specific sins will you have to contend with living in this world? Well, there's a whole long list that we could mention, but the psalmist mentions two in particular, uh, two that were a real uh, challenge for him, and they were, um, they were deceit and violence. You'll see them there on your outline. Um, these were probably sins that he found himself uh, on the receiving end for. Deceit is found in verses 2 and 3. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from what? From lying lips 
and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? Or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Now, the Psalter is full of such prayers to be delivered from sins of speech. Uh, For example, Psalm 64, verse 2. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked who sharpen their tongue like a sword, who aim bitter words like arrows. Now, the psalmist specifies which sins of the tongue uh, he was facing in the culture of Meshach. He says they are lying lips, a deceitful tongue, and a false tongue. Perhaps lies were being spoken about him, quite possibly. Perhaps the truth was being distorted in some way to blacken his name. And brothers and sisters, you know all about this as Christians. You live in a world that has broken the ninth commandment en masse. Culture that has devalued and deconstructed truth. And examples are legion. You see it in the media culture. Journalism is agenda-driven. It is rarely objective, factual reporting. Alternative facts, fake news. These terms have arisen. They are the order of the day. A recent BBC poll found that over 90% of Americans don't trust news reporting. But then how can you trust the BBC? Maybe, Maybe that's not accurate, you see. What what is the truth? We we don't really know. Uh, You see it also in the new subculture of social media, which provides enormous scope for this false tongue. Uh, Proverbs 10, 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. What a multitude of words uh, are flying through the ether on Twitter and Facebook, and and blogs, and texting, and all useful tools, no doubt, of constructive communication, which become avenues instead for gossip, and slander, and sexting, and all these other kinds of distortion and extortion. We see this also in the political culture. Uh, We are fast coming up on our quadrennial national pastime of presidential elections. And that often brings this this thing to the fore. Why is it that the pundits have to have a fact check after every candidate makes any kind of speech? Oh, let's see if that's true. Fact check. And out come the the gurus. They say, well, this isn't strictly speaking true. and, And we have to do that. Why is that? Because there are lying tongues, lying lips, a deceitful tongue. Fact check. Maybe it should be a deceitful tongue check. Be a more biblical way of putting it. I think you also see it in in the religious culture of the day. A psalmist would have been extremely sensitive to the false gods and false prophets of this Gentile land. And so must we be. Because, friends, many people claim to speak doctrinal truth, but instead they are proclaiming lies. And so we could go on. I could ask you all this morning, how are you personally facing lying lips and a deceitful tongue? You young people, maybe in your class at school or just friends in your neighborhood perhaps, teammates perhaps, maybe they tease you because you stand for God on any number of current issues. Maybe it's in the workplace Maybe you've been the victim of of gossip by colleagues or employers or bosses have asked you to lie for the profit of the company. You need to pray this prayer. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. So that's deceit. But there's a second sin that really stood out in the culture of Meshach to the psalmist, and it's the sin of violence violence. Look again at verse 6. 
My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. What we see here is a wholesale breach of the sixth commandment. War is in man's heart. War against God. War against his fellow man. The Apostle James again in James 4 verses 1 and 2. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? That war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. That's the culture in which we live. The 20th century was the most murderous in recorded history. The total number of deaths caused by or associated with its wars has been estimated at 187 million. Uh, the equivalent of more than 10% of the world's population uh, in 1913 on the eve of the First World War. Just colossal uh, loss of life. We're seeing it today all over the world. We're seeing it in Ukraine, uh, where even conservative estimates reckon that military and civilian casualties number in the hundreds of thousands with millions displaced all over the world. And that's just one of the world's current conflict zones. Well, might the Christian describe the fallen inhabitants of the world in verse 6 as those who hate peace. So the psalmist had evidently been on the receiving end here too. Maybe you've been attacked, perhaps physically or otherwise, for your stand as a Christian. And this again is why we are homesick. This is not our home. You're crying to God in Meshach as you're daily facing the culture of Meshach. But you're also, thirdly, awaiting the judgment of Meshach. Awaiting the judgment of Meshach. You remember that the psalmist asked the question in verse 3, what shall be given to you? Or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Is God going to stand idly by as our culture descends into chaos? Well, verse 4 tells us. Here's the answer to the question. Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. Now, what on earth does that mean? That's maybe hard for us to get our heads around. Well, sharp arrows and hot coals are very common biblical metaphors for the sinful tongue itself. So what the psalmist is saying here is that the lying tongue will receive its own medicine. It will receive a punishment that is fitting the crime. And make no mistake, the judgment of God is terrible to contemplate. Arrows shot by a warrior are arrows from a trained hand that will certainly hit their target. And they are from a strong hand guaranteeing a deep penetration of the arrow. A punishment fitting the crime. Make no mistake, God is going to judge all sins of speech. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 36, But I say to you that for every idle word man may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And then these coals of a broom tree... These are, in the words of one commentator, quick in flaming, fierce in blazing, and long 
in burning. The, the wood of the broom tree was a, a favorite fuel in that time for these reasons. Meshach is the city of destruction, and Jesus warns us of a place where the fire is not quenched. And in meantime, as God's people living in this culture, we need to be patient throughout our pilgrimage, expecting deceit and violence to seemingly go unpunished by the world, but knowing there is a judgment to come. You may be sojourning in a violent world, but you are waiting for the arrival of the Prince of Peace. So let me ask you again, are you a homesick Christian. The trials of this life will only increase your homesickness. Not that that gives you an excuse for discontentment or impatience or grumbling with your lot in life, much less a death wish. That's not the example that Jesus left us when he faced the trials of Meshach. He faced False witnesses. He faced violence when he sojourned in this world on your behalf. 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. And that is how you and I must respond living as homesick Christians in this world as people seem to get away with murder and much other besides. The Christian should have a holy aspiration for glory. Paul, you remember, suffered the trials of Meshach more than most of us ever will. He wrote the letter to the Philippians while in prison, awaiting trial for his life, and the trial made him homesick. He expresses this tension in Philippians 1.22. He says, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, but what I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Well, we thought about the case of the homesick Christian, and we thought about the trials of the homesick Christian. And briefly, as we close, we want to think about the witness of the homesick Christian. In verse 7, the witness of the homesick Christian. One of my favorite travel writers is uh, the British comedian Michael Palin. Uh, Some of you may know that name. Uh, One of his travel documentaries records a year-long journey through the Himalayas. Uh, Pakistan, India, Nepal, Tibet, Bhutan, China, and Bangladesh. Uh, And it's really striking Everywhere he goes, uh, he and his English film crew are a subject of intense curiosity, Uh, often a great deal of suspicion as well, and just occasionally uh, open hostility. And that's because they are strangers in an incredibly remote region of the world, uh, where strangers are often unwelcome. And, of course, they stand out. They they just don't fit in. Uh, As soon as they open their mouths, uh, it's clear they don't belong there. The Christian is to stand out in the remote land of Meshach. And make no mistake, the Christian must open their mouths in Meshach. The last verse says, I am for peace But when I speak, when I speak, they are for war. When I speak, the Christian has a voice in Meshach. And it's crucial for us to understand that we are not to be silent despite the decline of our culture all around us. You see, the application of this psalm this morning is not to go underground. 
into some kind of Christian subculture, shrink-wrapped from this world and camping out till Jesus comes back to rescue us. That's not the burden of the psalmist. Rather, it is to maintain a public witness to a seemingly unresponsive world. As pilgrims in this world, we are called to be salt and light. And the salt must come in contact with the meat it preserves. And the light must come into contact with the darkness. So let me challenge you as we close. How's your Christian witness in Meshach? How's that going for you? Are you living a holy life in Meshach? Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, so that when they speak, here's the speech again, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Are you living a holy life in Meshach or is your life indistinguishable from the residence of Meshach? Ask yourself seriously this morning, is there any discernible difference between your conduct and that of the world around you? Is there any discernible difference, for example, in the movies you stream or the songs on your playlists? Are they those of Meshach? Is there any discernible distinction in the language you use? Maybe the jokes you tell young people, the TikToks you share, the YouTube influencers you spend hours with perhaps every day. Are they the influencers from the tents of Kedar that you're listening to? Is there a discernible distinction? Ask yourself that question. Are you living a holy life in Meshach? And ask also, are you speaking in Meshach? Are you opening your mouth? And then maybe you'll ask me, well, in a culture like this, what am I to speak? Well, the psalmist tells us. He says, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Brothers and sisters, what are you to speak in Meshach? You are to speak truth in a culture that denies truth. And you are to speak peace in a world at war with itself and with its maker. Of course, the peace you speak to this fallen world is the gospel of peace. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6.14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having your shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Are you prepared? Are you equipped to speak the gospel of peace to Meshach? Don't be surprised that when you speak peace, if you find that they are for war. They're not going to like it. They're not going to like the gospel of peace that exposes the sin of their hearts. But friends, let the gospel of peace be your weapon of war as you seek to bring many of this world's inhabitants with you on this pilgrimage to Zion. So, Psalm 120, the case of the homesick Christian and the trials of the homesick Christian and the witness of the homesick Christian. Whether you're missing uh, the 4th of July or the king's coronation this summer, wherever you find yourself on God's globe in this life, remember that your home is in heaven. And Scripture says that your pilgrimage, your pilgrimage and mine, 
is exactly the same as your homesick brothers and sisters in the Old Testament, just like this psalmist. These all died in faith, the writer to Hebrews says, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. They desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this day and we acknowledge before you that the world in which you have called us to live and bear witness is a dark place. We have been reminded this morning of the deceit and the violence, O Lord, that characterizes our culture. But Lord, you have called us not simply to watch and be appalled. You have called us to speak, to speak peace, the gospel of peace, into our culture. And Lord, that is going to need courage, something that we know we lack. Would you please, by your Spirit, fill each one of us, O God, with that courage that we see in Christ, our forerunner in Meshach, who spoke with all holy boldness into his world. And yes, he found that when he spoke peace, that they spoke war in return. May we not be therefore surprised, O God, and may we not be surprised if we feel homesick in this world. Help us, O Lord God, in the years you have given to each one of us to study how to be holy people, to not be ashamed, O Lord, to let people know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord God, help, help all of us from the youngest here to the oldest to stand firm. I pray particularly, Lord, today for our young people here who are facing challenges many of us were never asked to face. I pray that you would give to them a special measure of grace, O Lord, to be distinguishable from this world to be in this world doing the Savior's business, and yet so clearly not of this world. I pray that you would help them, O Lord, to resist the temptations that abound in their generation, so that like King David, it could be said of them that they served their generation according to the will of God. Lord, help all of us, each one, as we continue our journey. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come quickly. And that you would bring each one of us to your heavenly mansions, O Lord God. That place where there will be no more deceit and no more violence. Where there will be no more war, no more tears. But there will only be that peace that has been purchased by Christ. And we ask these things in his powerful name. Amen.